TED Audio Collective. Tired of unnecessary payroll errors? Stop them in their tracks. With Paycom, employees do their own payroll. They're able to identify errors and fix them before submission, right in the app. Because no one can afford for payroll to be wrong. Not HR and payroll teams, not leaders, and definitely not employees. Shorted paychecks, timesheet corrections, unentered sick days, missing overtime hours, and expense mistakes are, well, unnecessary for everyone. Manage the process to make payday right with Paycom. Learn more at paycom.com slash soundrise. That's paycom.com slash soundrise. Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with Gail Anderson, winner of an AIG Medal for Excellence in Design, about her career and what she's learned along the way. That was a great learning experience for me, to learn how to defend what you're doing and to do it for a reason and not just because it looks good. Here's Debbie Millman. When it comes to interesting careers in design, you can't do it any better than Gail Anderson. She's the former creative director of design at Spotco, and before that, she was senior art director at the visually innovative magazine Rolling Stone. Steve Heller has praised her work for its eloquent editorial and entertainment design using bold typography, illustration, and photography to engage audiences with a new standard of emotional and visual connection. Welcome to Design Matters, Gail. Thank you, Debbie. So great to finally have you here. <laughs> and I have been waiting for years to ask you this question. Yeah. I understand that when you were little, you used to make little Jackson 5 and Partridge Family magazines. Yes. Your big stories were Donnie versus Michael, who do you love, L-U-V. L-U-V, yes. Peppered with the occasional David Cassidy expose. So my first question is, (laughs) who did you love more, Donnie or Michael? (laughs) Michael all the way. Really? Oh, yeah. And so tell us about the magazines. First of all, do you still have any of the copies? I wish I did. I have so much other old stuff from the 60s and 70s that I've dug up. Um, They had pull-out photos Big, big spreads. I understand you designed uh, kissable were... centerfolds. How did you know this? I just have my ways, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were so much fun. And they got better and better into the Partridge Family days as I got a little older. So 
what did you love about those teen magazines? Like, why did you decide that you needed to make your own? There were so many wonderful oh, ones. They were so, oh, and I still have those. You do? Oh, yeah. So My you have all your Tiger and, Beats? And... Speck and 16, really? more so than Tiger Beat. Okay. Yeah. I loved the letter set, the rub, rub down type on them. I loved the chart pack rules and the weird illustrations, the cutout heads and uh, the designs were loud and, and fun and there was just stuff everywhere. And I I just thought, wow, who does this? How, how do you get to do this? I want to do this when I grow up. So was that when you first decided that you wanted to work in magazines? Yes. And so that was always your goal? Yep. Work on a celebrity magazine. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so <laughs> Work on a celebrity yep. magazine. Let's just Pretty go easy. for the top. Rolling Stone. <laughs> yeah. So was it as clear as that then that where you wanted to work was Rolling Stone? No. Okay. No, because I didn't know what that was. But if Speck and 16 were still around, I'd be working for one of them now because that would make me so happy. So uh, what is it about celebrity culture that you like so much I, or pop I culture that you just, like it's so just much? pop culture, really. And as a kid, it was certainly the celebrity part. But I'm just completely amused by that still. It somehow feels, and I could just be thinking this because I'm older now, but it seems like the teen throb experience is different now than oh it was. It seemed so innocent then. It does seem very innocent then. I mean, it's hard to even imagine somebody like Marsha Brady existing in no. a day like today. No, no, no. I entered a contest. Uh, you designed a costume for Michael to wear at a concert, and you sent your picture and an essay and your design, and I was so sure I was going to win and I was going to get to meet him. And I never did never heard back. You never heard back at all? So no. you didn't even get a, a letter no. saying thank you, for, but no thank you? No. So did you know that... I was heartbroken. I can imagine. That's actually a, a really sad movie in there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Requiem for Shaped a Dream. the rest of my life. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so when you, when you had this desire to work at a magazine when you were younger, was it from an editorial perspective or a design perspective or all of it? Because I, I didn't know what the it was, mm -hmm. you know, but I wondered who put them together and how how could I get in on that? So when did you decide you wanted to be a designer formally? Like when you decide I, I want to go to the School of Visual Arts, I want to become a designer? There was a book in my high school art room that the teacher had. Chris Francis was her name. And she had a book, a little black book called Careers in Commercial Art or something like that. That was wow. from SVA. Careers yeah, in the Commercial, commercial Art. Mm -hmm. As a bestseller. Yep. <laughs> and so I borrowed it again and again and, and read about the school and different jobs. And I thought, well, that's it. That's what I'll be a commercial artist. I want. And I think I've told this before there. Uh, we had the poster, the Paul Davis to yes. be good is not enough poster in the room by the when window. When you dream of being great. Yep. Yep. I can still see see that poster. And that's where I'm going to go to school, go to school there. And I, I remember telling Paul that years later. And he just sort of looked at me like, what? Big influence. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, really, really. I'm I'm being dead serious, Paul. And like, really? Yeah, really. That's amazing. It's amazing yeah. to be able to tell somebody that they had that I kind know. of influence uh -huh. on you. It's incredible. Yep, he must yeah. have felt like he'd had a real purpose in his life. <laughs> like, get away from me. So, stalker. <laughs> stalker alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you were in when you were studying at School of Visual Arts, Paula Cher was your teacher. She was. She was my so tell teacher. us all about that. What was it like to be she, taught by Paula Cher? It was only her second year teaching there and a good friend Rowan Treary had her the year before and just raved about her and was then I think interning or working for her at Mantel Capel and Cher then. And 
I took her class, and after every class, Tuesday night, I would call Roe and, you know, go through step by step what had happened in the class and what Paula said and what did this mean. And that was a great time. She had two classes, a larger one and a smaller one, and I was in the smaller group. So I probably had a little more one-on-one time. And I was, you know, intimidated by her. Why? Because, you know, you're a kid and you're just like, wow. Well, I'm still intimidated and I'm well, not a yeah, kid. there's that too. <laughs> but, yeah, I was and in awe, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm still in awe, probably more in awe now. And, you know, I wanted to do the best job possible for her because she was just so cool to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... She still smoked then. Uh-huh. Did you smoke in the classroom? Smoke in the classroom because you could still smoke in the rooms here. And, you know, you, everybody sort of wondered if the, the ash would fall onto their work or something. But Did it ever? I think it did, yes. And just brush it off. And I was living at the dorm at Sloan House on 34th. And we'd sometimes share a cab and I'd drop her off and go all the way over to the west side. And that little five minutes in the cab together was just like the highlight of the week for me. That was just so cool. What would you say was the most important thing that you learned from her? To appreciate history, but also not to take all of this too seriously. That she had a great sense of humor about the work and herself, and she just made it fun, smart and fun. How did she influence your work? We all did everything so that it looked just like something she would have done, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure was very frustrating to her. But yeah, we just tried to mimic everything she did. At the time. So we were doing big wood type and all this constructivist stuff. And yeah, she completely influenced everyone. When would you say that the visual influence of Paula in your work turned more into what your style of work ended up becoming? In my first job at Vintage, I was pretty green. But by the time I was at The Globe, a year or so later, and now got to work on a magazine for the first time with very tight deadlines and limitations. I suppose it was around then that I started to develop a voice of my own a little bit. And Paula helped you get the job at Vintage. Paula helped me get the job at Vintage. Paula helped me get the job at The Globe. Paula called Fred when I was being hired at Rolling Stone and put in a good word. Paula has been there straight through. So I owe her a lot. So what was it like working at Vintage straight out of school? It must have been incredibly uh, intimidating that again. Was, I mean, I couldn't do a good mechanical. Um, Why? I can't imagine that. You seem to have great uh, hand skills. I I didn't then. I didn't. So I had to sort of get up to speed on that. And I met Louise Feely, who was at Pantheon then, and Sarah Eisenman, who was at Knopf, and all these wonderful art directors. And I was only there a year, and it feels like so much longer in a way, but... I learned a lot, and I learned to um, what it was like to work in an office, you know, learning to be a grown-up in that way. And I was very sloppy. And the art director I worked for, Judy Lozer, was like, uh, you tidy up a little bit? So, <laughs> did you do any book covers while you were there? I did. I did uh, five or seven book covers, I think. Any that you would consider to be memorable? Probably the first one, a book called Po, 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 Seven Poes. P.O.? P.O.E. Oh, as in Edgar Allan. Yep. Poe times seven with Anita Kunz. Oh, wow. Nice job. Yep. And I still have mine because that was so cool, you know, to see something that you've done, see your name on on a book and work with a great illustrator and 
Ugh, that was fantastic. And I still have like the flyers that I was working on back then, you have book covers. <laughs> well, I found, um, I found drawings that I did when I was 12 that I've, I've shown before. So I've, you know, I've got some old stuff. All right, let's talk about your next job. You then moved up to Boston to work yeah. on the Sunday Magazine at the Boston Globe. Yes. And that's where you said you learned how to design. Amazing. How to design amazing. quickly. Great, great time. Again, feels like, oh, it feels like it was so much longer, but it was just two years. And there were a few of us up there from SVA, and we got to be very close and spent a lot of time together, uh, Arena Sokolow, Richard Baker, and myself. And those were just, there was a great couple of years working in we would just work all night if if we could. You know, we were there all the time and just such fun. Now, I read that you learned how to work quickly and I was wondering, yeah. how do you learn something like that? There was just no time to sort of do the head of a pin kind of stuff. And I loved just doing it, put out another shoe, put out another shoe. You didn't fuss and you could make mistakes because then it was gone. Now, is it true that Ron Capisi said that the paper was like fish Fisher. wrap? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is that about? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought, what a great, what a great quote. And I would, I'd get off the tee and I'd walk to the building and I would see old magazines or paper on the street and it's like he's absolutely right. It is yeah. fish wrap. That's what I feel about packaging. Huh? When I see packaging that I've worked on lying in a little crumpled heap uh-huh. on the ground or in a garbage pail, I think, oh okay. Because yeah. I didn't I didn't see that with the book covers and then I saw that immediately with the magazine. It was just... But that's really liberating. Now you when you worked at the Globe you worked for Lynn Staley and then did, Lucy Bartholomew. Yep. And and you said that it was possibly the best experience, both personally and professionally, yep. a young designer could ever imagine having. Yep, absolutely. How so? Lynn was my hero. You know, she was smart and and clever and a good designer and great art director and just a really wonderful person. And I was hungry to have you know mentors in my life like that. And she was just wonderful. And I, I learned so much. And we're still dear friends to this day. So what made you decide to leave the Globe and go to Rolling Stone? Was it something that you were recruited into no, doing? No, no, no. Another I, call from Paula? <laughs> <laughs> I'd heard about Fred through Andy Zellman, who was the editor of the magazine, and they'd worked together at a magazine in Texas. And she'd always say, you're so much, you, you should meet Fred. You guys are so much alike, and you'd like each other. And I was looking at Texas Monthly because of that. And then he went on to Regardies in Washington, so I was, was subscribing to that. And then all of a sudden, I was getting Rolling Stone when I was living in uh, Somerville. And it's like, that's that guy. That's Fred Woodward. And now he's doing Rolling Stone, huh? And I'd been at the Globe about a year and a half or two years then, which seems like forever when you're in your 20s. And I thought, I wonder if he would give me some feedback on my work. And so... I contacted him, and he was new enough to have answered the telephone himself. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It called one evening, and he picked up. And but that was like, brave uh, of you, though, to do that. I mean, again, you're a kid, so you're like, I'll get him. I'll call him. And he answered, and he's like, uh, okay, sure, you can you know, send me some stuff, and I'll take a look. I'm really busy right now. But, and then he called when he got the package and asked if I would come down to meet him after work one day. And so I flew down. And we met, and I thought, what a nice guy. What a great guy. And he didn't hire me then because he needed somebody with more experience, but said that, you know, we'd see what happened. Maybe he'd be back in touch. I was like, okay. And, like, mental note, if he ever contacts me, again, I really like him, and it just feels right, and I would love to work with him. And then I sort of set it aside and went back to my life. And a few months later, he called, and it's like, well, things have changed. And 
It's like, huh? And it's like a fairy tale. It kind of was. And when I looked up to tell the art director, who was then Lucy Bartholomew, she said, you got your call. I was like, wait, what? How do you know this? He had called the editor, who was his friend Andy, to make sure it was okay with her before Wow. Before he asked me if I wanted to come down. So they all knew, <laughs> and I didn't. And they were all supportive and happy for me, and I moved back home. So that was so, 1987. Yeah. And so then you started at Rolling Stone. Yeah. So it must have and been I, a dream I, and job. And there was no space for me. And so I sat in the office with Fred for the first, I think, two weeks or something. I'd kind of look over and, hey, how you doing? And it's like, I really like him. So how did you collaborate together? I mean, you did so much work together. You were there for 15 years. So how did you do all that work together? It was a really nice back and forth because we were similar personalities in a way. So it was easy. It was mind reading. And... He would get very excited sometimes about what he was working on or what we were working on, and that was contagious. Or he'd be very quiet, and we'd just sort of sit and work and chat a little bit. And sometimes he'd just tell me to stop chatting because I just want to ask questions. And he loved to put on music. Did you listen to the music of the people that you were— Sometimes, but when we were working not, on a Not cover, exclusively. Not, yeah. no. I, those 14, 15 years, learned so much about music and built such a collection. Did you get a lot of free CDs? Or albums? Not as many as you'd think, but yes. And now, now <laughs> albums nothing. into CDs, yep, right? Now I got nothing. So, but yeah, albums into CDs, absolutely right. After 15 years, you decided to leave. And I read that when you did, you said that you wanted to try something totally new that felt challenging and scary in a good way and that you needed that level of fear to motivate you to change while you were still naive enough to believe that you could. Why naive? Because if I knew how hard the transition from magazines to doing the theater stuff, <laughs> how long it would take me to sort of find my, my rhythm in that, I would have just, you know, gone to another magazine. Oh, so, I just never even uh, imagined that you had to even spend oh, any time God. getting your sea legs. No, it seemed like it was such it a took, natural first, no, it took transition. The first, at least the first year or two to figure out how to do it and to work on a different schedule. And I think the biggest thing was having to come up with a lot of ideas for everything. With the magazine, we did one or two. or you Because of the deadline, you were sort of in and out pretty quickly. And with the key art for the shows, I very soon realized that you were showing a client multiple versions of ideas from scratch, not just variations on an idea. And that was new to me. It's like, well, what's the matter with this one? And that was a good thing for me to have to go back and think really hard about something and see that occasionally your sixth or seventh idea is actually better than the one at the beginning. So so would you have to come up with all six or seven ideas on your own or would you be leading a team that would oh, no, also contribute team. to... A team, absolutely. And certainly for larger shows, a few people worked on something. It was, I felt like I couldn't put something on one person's shoulders. That's just too much stress. And when you're being asked to think of up to a dozen directions for something. A dozen. Easily, sometimes. And sometimes less, but but sometimes more. So you just run out of steam after a while. So you need to be able to go back and forth with people and to collaborate. And I think I enjoyed the collaborative process so much working with Fred that I wanted to continue that working with other people. In the years at Spot, it was never about my thing or her thing or his thing. It was always ours. So would you have, in the 12 ideas that you might come up with for a particular show, would you then have to have a strategic point of view about each one that would be something that you'd have to sell into the executive producers? Ideally, yeah. And that was a 
great learning experience for me too to learn how to defend what you're doing and to do it for a reason and not just because it looks good. Was it difficult to be told by the executive producers or by Drew that something wasn't working or they didn't like something that you loved? I mean, it yes. seems like it's an awfully subjective <laughs> yes, science here in, yeah. in deciding what uh-huh. is going to be the big look for a show. Absolutely, Easier over time, but certainly at the beginning, it's like, well, wait, but I'm not the art director. You're supposed to trust <laughs> what I'm saying, but no. So. What was the first show that you worked on after coming to Spotco? I worked on two shows. Ironically, uh, one I think Paula had worked on a version of called Harlem Song, a show up at the Apollo. And the next was Man of La Mancha. <gasps> Man of so, La Mancha. Yeah, that was a gorgeous, two. gorgeous identity. That it was, was so inventive and so unusual. I still like that. I have the T-shirt. Back. <laughs> That's how much I loved it. They had a, a, a baseball jacket, I remember. I was like, I want a Man of Launch a baseball jacket. Yeah. Like I, when I started doing that work and saw things that we did on merchandise, I just, it's so cool. Well, that logo, the way that you created that logo into the Horace and Don Quixote, it was just absolutely magnificent. And my shirt, I got the red one and the, the <laughs> white so type is sort of like all kind of half peeled off at this point and very faded. But that show was so magnificent. I started crying halfway through the show and never stopped for like another two days after the show had been over. I just, that show just killed me. It was such a great production. You know, I'd certainly been to the theater. Growing up, my first show was Fiddler on the Roof that we came in one Sunday to see. But I probably wasn't going enough and certainly wasn't going regularly. And those almost nine years there, I saw so many wonderful shows something I just I wouldn't have gotten to otherwise and now want to continue to do that was good for me also the whole thing was a really good experience because I I had to learn to open my mouth and speak up why why was that hard for you because I worked with such a sort of quiet and gentle art director before and I went into an environment of these really sort of fun loud people who were really fast and bossy <laughs> I was like, wait, they talk, they're really like, I better take it up a notch. And so, yeah, yeah, it was a huge life change to learn to get in on the conversation and not get, you know, run over. And then you recently left. Yeah. Now, so you, now you, that's not an issue. You so. re- well, you reached these yeah. big milestones in your life. You were 15 years at Rolling uh, Stone and yep. nearly 10 at Spotco, yep. right? Yeah. No, I'm nothing if not loyal. So And a collaborator. So you, yep. what is your next big collaboration going well, to be? I need to spend a little bit of time designing by myself because I may have lost some of my confidence. Why? Uh, Well, because... You just won the AIG (laughs) medal. It's the highest medal in the design (laughs) profession, and you're worried about losing your confidence? Because I feel like, because I haven't been hands-on as much in the last few years, that I want to be able to do some things myself again and not have to ask and suggest and show and I just like a little time to sort of make it myself just to get my those skills back up to speed because I feel like those aren't there anymore and I'm talking about just in design and photoshop and illustrator okay, kind so, of stuff so yeah. technical so there's, skills yeah, there's some of that that's just that's when I sit down to do something myself I'm like oh my goodness really I like have to think about how to do it way too hard now so so that's been sort of fun but more importantly I I just I feel like I want to be part of coming up with what the thing is and not just designing the thing, you know. So it's sort of I'm becoming 
a student of uh, designer's author. <laughs> so really, it sort of feels that way because I'm like, I want to do that too. Now you know they're coming up with all these great projects, and you know, so I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's you know to have a milestone birthday not too far off. So it felt uh, this is the time to sort of try it. Well, the whole design world will be waiting and watching Gail <laughs> with bated breath. Everything yeah, well, that you've done they should, has been. They should take just... a breath. And <laughs> no, if they have any suggestions, I welcome them because I'm. This is either the best time or the worst time to talk to me because I have no answer to what on earth I'm going to do. But you know, I'd like to write more, and I really enjoy that. Another book with Stephen, maybe. We're working on something now. Can you tell us the title? This one is the last of the series of new vintage type and new ornamental. This is new modern. So I'm working on that now. But I mean, I'd like to work on a children's book. I'd like to, I don't know. I just, I've got to try something else. Well, we look forward to seeing what you find. Thanks for joining me on Design Matters, Gail. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Gail Anderson's latest book, co-written with Steve Heller, is called New Modern Type. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions with technical assistance by Rainey Ortica and research by Jen Simon. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store.